couple of weeks ago, I went for an eye exam. I was way overdue. Anybody had an eye exam recently? You've been there. They put this device in front of you, and the doctor says, which one is better? This one and this one. This one or this one? And I go, well, they're both bad, you know. And he usually reminds me, well, at your age. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then finally they twist some more knobs, and it's, you know, it's such a great relief when suddenly there's clarity. Essentially, what's happening is the doctor has created for you in that situation the right lens which allows you to see those little teeny tiny microscopic letters clearly. Can I just tell you sometimes my Bible reading and my Bible study is like that? I'm saying, Lord, what are you saying to me? it's, It's fuzzy. I'm not sure I get it. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit and why we pray and ask him to illuminate our hearts as we we read and study. We used to sing a song around here, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That's why we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in our time in the word. Well, as I've been reading over the Christmas narrative this season, it seems as though the Holy Spirit has created just the right lens to bring to focus one particular aspect of the story. Don't ignore the rest, but there's one thing that's just, it's like it's been a spotlight or a focus for me. It seems as though it has been focused upon the wise men for whatever reason. It's not been so much Mary and Joseph, I read all that, the shepherds, the angels, but it it has been the magi or the wise men. If I'm honest with you, I had prepared a completely different message for today But the closer we got to today, the stronger I just had that inner compulsion that I, today, on this day, I really don't know why yet. We'll figure that out later if the Lord tells us. But I want to talk to you today sincerely about worship. Frankly, Bethesda, I believe the function and vitality of worship in our lives as believers is so very, very critical that we should never be very far from the subject Neither should it ever be assumed by any of us that we know it all or that we remember it all. In fact, I heard someone say recently that in preaching, it's not so much that you are telling the folks in the congregation something new or something they they haven't heard before, but you're just bringing a different light on it or you're saying it in a different way for them to see it or hear it in a different direction. I think... um, It's very, very critical, particularly at the Christmas season, that we understand what worship is. And that's where I want to draw our hearts today. In the text before us, we're allowed to get yet another glimpse of worship through giving. And don't please please don't just relegate the word giving to money or to an offering. That's part of it, yes, but it's not the whole. What the wise men did in these very familiar verses that we'll read that you know so well is something that should be done every day in the life of the believer. And I'm asking you to consider this well-known passage with with me this morning, not only from the perspective of Christmas, which you will automatically, but also from the perspective of worship. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 2, you know it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel." And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. Obviously, we know that was not his intention. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold. What's the second one? And when it was time to leave, 
They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. In these verses today, with the Lord helping me and enabling me, I think there's something in us in this for us to see when it comes to worship and the nature of worship. Because as we watch the wise men worship the Lord, they reveal um, certain characteristics of worship that should be true in our worship. I'm going to give them to I've, I've got eight I'm going to give you. Some of them, I, I don't know that I'll get to all of them. We'll see if we will or not. But as we go through these characteristics of worship that we see in the wise men, I want to just make it clear that we're drawing the parallel for what they did, why they did it, and how that ought to apply to us in each situation. So I've identified eight. I'm sure there's more. Uh, and I'm gonna, my plan is to maybe briefly mention the first seven. You understand briefly is a relative term, right? You know that. Briefly mention the first seven, and then I'm, uh, I will po- possibly expand a bit more on the last one. Uh, this, if you are a person who takes notes, and even if you're not, this might be a good one. These eight are something good to remember, possibly, in your own study. You may want to get a pencil and paper. Number one, the worship of the wise men was intentional. Matthew 2.2, 2, we just read it. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. These men came to Jerusalem for the sole purpose of worship. Worship was why they left their homeland. It was why they brought their treasure. It was why they journeyed as far as they did. Worship is, as, is at the heart of everything that we see them do in this passage. It's the motivator for everything. Simply because they had their hearts set on coming before the Lord Jesus to worship him. And so church, our worship should be intentional as well. So what, is, what does that mean? What, is, what does that look like? Well, I, we should come to his house with worship as our goal. We should approach him in prayer with worship on our hearts. We should open his word, seeking him in a spirit of worship. Can I get a big amen to that today? In fact, I would say it this way. Worship should not be something that just happens to us or something that we just stumble into almost accidentally, or, or we're waiting for Gerard and Jovan or Pastor Brent to sing the right song or motivate us in the right way. Our worship should be deliberate and intentional. It should be something that we set our hearts on, something that we seek and something that motivates us. Number two, the worship of the wise men was volitional, volitional. In other words, it was absolutely an act of their will. They had determined in their hearts that they would worship him. Nobody, nobody forced them to leave their home and family and, and travel across the desert to find Jesus. No one made them give their gifts. No one held a gun to their heads and made them bow before the Lord in worship. It was an act of their will. Our worship ought to be volitional as well. We should determine in our hearts that we will not just go through the motions of worship, hello, but that we will set our hearts on the task of loving the one who died for our sins. That's why he came. We ought not just sing because the congregation is singing. We ought not just bow in prayer because it's time to pray. We should not just open our Bibles just because it's time for the sermon. We ought not to just go to church because it's Sunday morning at at 10.30. No, we should determine in our hearts that every song, every prayer, every sermon, every deed, every day, every breath will be an act of supreme worship designed to glorify our Redeemer and our Heavenly Father. For it's Jesus who said in John chapter 4, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in and in. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Set your minds. It is a volitional act. Number three, the worship of the wise men was personal. Huh personal. What's that mean? Well, 
Very simply, I mean that they did not allow others to do the worshiping for them. Hello. They weren't just simply spectators. They didn't just come and find their way all that distance just to watch what was going on. No, these men involved themselves in their worship before the Lord Jesus. Let's look what they, what they did. Verse 2 that we just read says, they came. And we know that they came from a great distance. And they came by faith. Well, Dan, where do you read that in the text? Well, I guess I get it here. Simply see a star and then took the kind of action that they did. I think that takes faith. See a star. Something within them registered and spoke to them that they must take action on that. And then something within them arose and took that action. And they did it. They came with faith. Verse 10 says, they rejoiced when they found him. Verse 11 makes it clear that they humbled themselves before him. And then they willingly lavished their gifts upon him. Their worship involved, if I can say it this way, their worship involved self. And they involved all the self that they possessed in their worship. And I'm saying to us this morning, Bethesda, that our worship also should be personal. There are far, far too many people who try to worship by proxy. And I know you understand what I mean by that. That is, they let others do the singing. And they never lift their own voice in praise to the king. The ones who let others uh, uh, worship for them by proxy. They let others testify. And they never open their mouths in public to give God praise for his grace and blessing in their lives. We often make place for this in our Sunday night prayer service. Somebody's just full of the goodness of the Lord. And they've just got it. And they'll usually get a hold of me ahead of time and say, Pastor, I've really got something I would love to share. There's an inner compulsion that they must share. Look what the Lord has done. However, those who worship by proxy... They let others give, and they never experience the blessing that comes with investing in the work of the Lord. Those who worship by proxy, they let others work and preach and teach, and they never get involved beyond merely occupying a pew, and they only do that when it's convenient for them. Our worship should be personal. It should be your worship to the king. Where basically you're saying, you know, I, I don't know what the Lord has done for you, but I certainly know what he's done for me. There's something within them that must worship because I know about the day that he saved me. I know about the times he's moved my mountains. Can I get a witness here this morning from anybody? I know about the times he's come and breathed new life into my wilted heart. I know about his grace, his mercy, and his glory. I know these things, and the least thing I can do is worship him for them. Somebody give me a hallelujah this morning. The writer of the Hebrews says it this way. He says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Does that sound like a soft word to you? Does that sound like you're just supposed to keep it all to yourself? It's private? No, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Number four, the worship of the wise men Oh, no. Was confrontational. Verse 3 makes it clear that not everyone was pleased by the worship of the wise men. In fact, we're told, you know it, that Herod was troubled. Uh, Other versions say he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Because Herod thought that since he was the king, he ought to be the one being worshipped, right? Makes sense. But these wise men did not come to bow down before Herod. And so Herod was troubled by the fact that wise men had come to town to worship another king. They had not come to town to worship Herod. They had not come to town to worship in the temple. They came for one purpose, and that purpose was to bow themselves at the feet of a baby. And not just any baby, but the baby who is the eternal God. A baby who is, was, and ever shall be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When you reach a place where you give your unreserved, wholehearted worship to the Lord, it is likely that it will be, it will confront others. It will be confrontational. It's likely that it might even offend some folks. Not everyone will understand why you love him like you do. 
Not everyone will even think him worthy of that kind of love. Your songs, your tears, your shouts, your testimonies, your expressions of love and obedience will bother some people. Yes, that will happen. And here's all I have to say about that. Let them be bothered. Because the Lord we serve, church, is worthy of all the praise. We can't give him enough praise. He's worthy of all the praise that we can give him. And an infinite amount beyond that. Somebody say amen to that. Number five. Are you keeping up with these? There will be a quiz as you leave today, I want you to know. The worship of the wise men was emotional. Oh, Dan, really? You're going to go there? Uh Uh-huh. It was emotional. Where do you get that, Dan? Well, if you're looking at verses 10 and 11, that's, that's where I pull it from. When these men arrived at the palace where they would find the Lord Jesus, guess what? They were overcome with emotion. And, you know, when you think about that, I think you and I would be overcome with emotion, too, if we'd spent the last two years of our life with one mission in mind. We'd given everything we are, everything we have toward that one mission for two years. And we overcame all the obstacles that would have prevented us from accomplishing that mission. We knew how difficult it was. We endured all the hardships. We navigated through all the difficulties. And now we're standing before the goal himself. I think you and I would be emotional too, don't you think? When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy exuberant joy. Put yourself in that situation with me. How long they've been traveling. Two years they've been traveling and suddenly they've found it. They have found him. They found the place where he was. I, you know, I, I, I don't have any problem seeing them shouting and jumping and laughing, crying and dancing and hugging each other. They were filled with excitement at the prospect of seeing Jesus. Worshiping Jesus should fill our hearts with the same emotional power. Worship is an emotional engagement. I know that rankles a few people who think, you know, we Pentecostals have always been labeled as over-emotional and we, all this and all. I know that. And I know that some people frown on that idea. And there will never be a shortage of people who want to look disparagingly on those who are willing to come before the Lord and express their hearts freely and openly. But the danger for you and I is this, that we begin to think more or care more about what those people think than what God thinks. We allow them to dictate our worship. We allow them to confine us and box us in with our worship because we don't want to be seen. No. Let them think whatever they will, whatever it is. You just remember this. Those people that are speaking disparagingly, they didn't save you. They didn't heal you. Theirs wasn't the name you called in the midnight hour. They aren't the ones who brought your wandering children back home. There is only one who does that, and he alone is worthy of your praise, and his name is Jesus. Come on, give the Lord praise today. The danger when we allow the opinion of others to thwart our primary purpose in life, which is to worship him in spirit and in truth. And they may say, oh, you know, he's just doing that in the flesh. How many of you have heard that phrase before? He's just doing that in the flesh. Well, I, I can't speak for you. I can speak for me. Everything I do, I do in the flesh. That's what this is. It's not always in the power of the flesh, and that's what makes the difference. But church, there is nothing wrong with emotional worship as long as the Spirit of God is driving that worship. After all, sometimes I think the church in 2016 has begun to forget some of these things. But what I'm getting ready to tell you, it's Bible. And what is pleasing to the Lord? The Bible calls upon us to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The Bible says we are to clap our hands, not just because the song's over with, but we clap our hands to draw attention to him. We lift our hands to him in praise. The Bible calls on us to be filled with laughter, Psalm 126 too. 
to give him unashamed, visible, vocal, exuberant worship. Can anybody respond to me this morning? I think you're going to sleep or you had too much partying last night or something. I had quite an experience yesterday afternoon. I had been asked uh, some weeks, months ago, if I would help our French-speaking pastor who has the the, uh, French-African service, his name is Pastor Israel. There's There's a young couple delightful young couple, beautiful young couple from our French service who were going to be married. <clears throat> and for whatever reason, um, I was asked to um, officiate and assist Pastor Israel in officiating <clears throat> that ceremony. Well, it was, it was quite an afternoon. And one of the most interesting things that I've done in a long, I've, in a long time, I've never seen a wedding like it. There's lots of stories that, that have come from it for me. <clears throat> but let me tell you the part that I think applies to this point. We came to the, the uh, end of the ceremony, and of course it came to that moment. His name is John. Her, her name was Esther. And I said, John, the moment has arrived. You may kiss your bride. Well, in an African culture, the place went crazy. You know, they're just, they're just going nuts. The, the noises go on and on. Is Jermaine in the room? I need Jermaine. Where is she? Come on, give me a little bit of the African thing. I want to hear that praise that you do. That's it, right there. I couldn't do it if my life depended on it. If you ever hear that in this service, it just means that Jermaine's giving her praise to the Lord. That's all that means. So all this noise was going on. And uh, they seemed to be, the the, the bridal couple seemed to be a little timid. Um, They were just shy and maybe apprehensive about the day or whatever. And they were just, they, they... They'd just been timid. There were a lot, oh, I have so many stories from that wedding yesterday. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to tell all of them. We'd be here all afternoon. But here's what happened. Came to the moment. It's time for him to kiss his bride. And, of course, all the people, the congregation, they're left up on their feet. And the, there's like 30 cell phones out and cameramen everywhere and all of this. And he slowly turns to her, beautiful gal, and he reaches for the veil. Now, normally, when the groom removes the veil on the bride. It's about two seconds. Removes the veil. I think I'm telling you the truth when I'm saying I don't think it was any less than 60 seconds he took to remove the veil. He looked at her, and she's looking down. He looked at her. I'm like up close. I can see all this. And he just touched the veil and lifted a tiny bit, and they began rolling it a little bit. It, it, It took a full minute. He rolled it a little more. And then a little more. And then finally, the moment came when he, it was like a movie. He lifted the veil. And as he lifted the veil, her eyes came up and met his. It was a spectacular moment. And then, he just, in a very conservative, uh, reserved, cautious way, polite, respectful, all of that, he simply put his hands on the side of her arms and their lips touched, and he gave her what I would kind of call like a little peck, you okay? And he just, they got have a little, little kiss. Well, the people are going crazy, you know. And they're up on their feet, and they're now surrounding the couple. They, they're not in their seats anymore. They're all around everybody. And so <clears throat> the spirit of Des Evans came upon me because I've heard him say this so many times. <laughs> and it was just the thing, that, and I, I mean, the anticipation, the buildup for all this was just more than I could take. I thought, this is going to be good, whatever it is. So finally, and then there's this little sort of a kiss. And then, so he finished, and they looked at me, and I said, that's it? After all this, that's it? And then it happened. I guess that's all it took. Of course, the community around them were egging this on like you wouldn't believe. And then it was Esther. She grabbed his face and she went for it, folks. And for the next three to five minutes, it was glorious. But you know what? I couldn't help, could not help myself from drawing the parallel 
when the Lord begins to remove the veil from our eyes and he lifts the veil and our eyes finally see his and there's that sense of I am my beloved's and he is mine and therefore I must bow and worship, for, worship him. Oh, it was an incredible moment. I was thankful there's, again, so many things that came from that wedding yesterday. Number six. What time is it? Okay, number six. Their worship was effectual. Effectual. From verses three through eight, we see that their worship, the wise men, it had an effect. Clearly had an effect on Herod. Had an effect on Jerusalem. Had an effect on the scribes. And so, you know, what, we, what did they do? We, we read it a while ago. They, they called a meeting. That's what we do when, we're, when things aren't going. We call a meeting. And it caused them to, all the, the effect of the, the worship of the wise men, it caused the scribes and, and, and all of them to think about the things of God one more time. And it caused them to search the scriptures we see in our text that was there. And it had an effect on the wise men too, but that effect was completely different their worship had an effect on their relationship with God. If you look at verses 11 and 12, they were brought into a place of closeness and intimacy through their worship. And we clearly see that God is moving in their lives in power simply because they humbled themselves before him in worship. And I'm here to say this morning that worship is still effectual because it touches the world around us. When God's people are engaged in genuine, spirit-guided worship, a lost world takes note. It will drive some people away, but it will cause others to think about their own relationship to God. We know what Jesus said in the book of John, and if I be lifted up, I will what? Draw all men unto myself. The worship of the wise men had an effect on everyone, and your worship will affect your world too. As you find yourself drawn deeper into worshiping Jesus, you will find that he will become more and more real to you. Is there anybody in the room who wants that today? Is there anybody in the room who wants more of Jesus today? More of his presence. And that's what will happen the more we worship him. His presence becomes more precious to us. His word becomes more powerful. And his house will become an even greater place of joy. Number seven. Their worship was relational. Relational. Their worship was guided by God and based upon their relationship with him. They gave him worship because they were walking with him. And they gave him worship because they were following his plan. They gave him worship out of obedience to him. Anybody can sing, shout, and testify. But only a believer who is in a vital love relationship with Jesus can give him that pure, perfect Worship. Okay, that's the introduction of the message. Now I'm going to give the message, okay? <clears throat> well, the worship of the wise men was all the things I just mentioned and more. <clears throat> There's one more, and that is this. This is what I want to blow up a little bit today. Number eight, their worship was sacrificial. Sacrificial. When these men came to worship, they did not worship on the cheap, as we would say. Their worship cost them something. And if you will allow me, just give me a minute on this last point, and then we'll draw the service to a close shortly. But I do want us to see this morning the ways that their worship was costly. Number one, it cost them their time. We're told that the wise men came from the east, we don't know, we're not told in the narrative exactly where they came from, but nearly all scholars are in agreement that it was most likely that they came from Mesopotamia. And if that's true, then these men travel several hundred miles to get from their homes to worship Jesus. It clearly would have been a tedious journey that would have taken several months to complete. We estimate two years. It would have required great expense and much time away from home and family. It also would have been a trip that was fraught with danger and peril and trouble. And yet, they made the trip and paid the price because they deemed Jesus worthy of worship. You know, you and I live in a culture and society where we are so driven by time. And what's happened as a result of that, our attention spans are short. Did you know that? That's why the little TV commercials go so fast and they blip this on and blip that on because we, our, our attention spans get shorter and shorter and shorter all the time. 
And so we, we move on quickly to the next thing. We get bored quickly. We blame it on our ADD or whatever we blame it on. But we move on to the next thing. Whatever the next thing is that will fascinate our attention. And I want to ask you this. When was the last time the Lord fascinated your attention? When was the last time you found yourself with a few minutes to occupy and instead of immediately grabbing your phone, isn't that what we do now? Go to a restaurant, order our food. As soon as the waiter walks, we grab our phone. You could be with your spouse or with 10 other people. You're going to grab your phone. We must fill our minds with something at that moment. And I'm speaking to you out of my own conviction today. Church, I've been honest with you. Anytime I stand behind this sacred desk and say anything to you, I'm saying it to Dan. Or it's coming out of where I am in my own heart, and my own walk with God. And I have to ask myself, Dan, when was the last time that instead of reaching for the next thing, he became the next thing? And I'm not afraid or ashamed or embarrassed to challenge you with that same thing. When was the last time we chose to give our, our little piece of time that we have to God in worship? I even wonder what would happen if I announced right now that we're going to spend the next hour in worship. I wonder how many people would stay with us. The next, oh, I've got things to do. But you know what, church? Worship is still costly in time. It costs because it takes time to pray and seek the face of the Lord. It takes time to deal with the sin in your life and to keep your heart pure. It takes time to prepare the heart for worship. That may be why lots of folks come to church but never really worship. It may just be that they haven't put any time and effort into preparing themselves to meet the king in his house. We used to call it, you old timers will remember this phrase, we used to call it being prayed up. Anybody ever hear that phrase? Being prayed up. It's not easy to live out in the world all week long, to rub shoulders with the spirit of the age and all that we encounter, and then to just immediately walk into church and be ready to meet God in worship. No, there's preparation that ought to be taking place. It's always better if there's been some time preparing your soul, preparing your heart to worship. It's always better if there's been some time in repentance of sin if there's been some time spent in feeding the soul on the Word of God, and if there's been some time spent in private worship. You know what, folks, when you come to church and you see people who truly worship in a corporate setting like this, you're also seeing people who have already spent time worshiping in private. Please don't allow the time we spend here at 1030 on Sunday morning to be your only expression of worship. And I... I I can't help but wonder. <laughs> I've told some of you, if I ever write a book, and I'm, nobody's asked me to and I'm not planning on it. If I ever write a book, I know I'll call it. I'll call it, wouldn't it be wonderful if, dot, 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 or ellipses. Wouldn't it be wonderful if? Because that's, what's ha that's what happened. About five, almost six years ago. When the Lord seemed to have an assignment for heaven, from heaven for Dan and Becky that we were to take leadership of this church. You know, it was unexpected. It was a surprise. All of that. And I've told folks, they said, well, has anything changed for you? Yes. Let me tell you what's changed. The download from heaven began to change for us. 33 years we conducted the choir, served the music ministry here. And there was grace for that. There was enabling for that. There was provision for that. And that was there. But when God sets someone in place to do something else and He gives you assignment, He will supply what you need. And what I began to experience was that sometimes in the middle of the night, I would wake up and this first thought would be, wouldn't it be wonderful if Bethesda could? Oh, man. And my heart would fill with ideas. And then it would happen again the next night. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful? Because I know the rich resource that's within, the, uh, within this fellowship. I know their walk with God. I know this fellowship. Nearly 40 years. I know how wonderful this congregation is. I know the stability of those of you who are true prayer warriors. And I began to say, wouldn't it be wonderful if? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if in the new year, congregation, we made a determination that before we came to the house of the Lord for the appointed time of corporate worship, that we begin to understand the necessity of preparation. Come and let us go into the house of the Lord. And let's seek his face together. I have to ask myself, what would happen to this congregation if when we walked in the door, there was no starting from ground zero. No, 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 no. We would have walked in the place with our hearts full and ready to worship the Lord because that private worship had taken place on the way or sometime prior. Are you breathing this morning? I wonder how that would affect our corporate worship. Can I have just a few more minutes? I'm not long, I promise. Tuesday night, this past Tuesday night, we conducted a funeral for dear, dear, precious, sweet Faith Cooper. Oh my goodness. Not a finer woman on the planet. And as is typical, I brought in her husband, Gary, for us to begin talking about the funeral, making the plans, and so on and so forth. Well, he brought in two of Faith's sisters. The minute I saw them, I, oh, you're, you're, I mean, the family resemblance was incredible. They're from Detroit, Michigan. And so they came in, and there was, there was something special about those gals. I had Pastor Brent in on the meeting as well to help us plan. Something special about them. I, uh, my, my spirit bore witness with theirs immediately. And, of course, I love being around Gary. So I began to ask them about their journey and their spiritual journey and so on and so forth. Found out they had come from a church called Bethesda in Detroit, Michigan. And it's a place where some of you might remember the phrase, the latter rain movement took place. Beal, B-E-A-L-L, were the pastors, a family of pastors that pastored for many decades. I said, so tell me what it was like being in that strong revival that took place. Had its distinctives to it for sure. And they both immediately, both their eyes welled up with tears. They said, oh... It was the worship. I mean, yes, signs and wonders and miracles took place, and it was, it was phenomenal. But, oh, Pastor Dan, it was the worship. And they just began, and I'm watching tears roll down their cheeks as they began to talk about it. They said, because people came to the house of the Lord, prayed up, ready to worship God. So when they walked in together, something was already there. We were already in his presence. There was no warming things up. And they said it would literally sweep. The worship would sweep across the congregation. It was like waves that went across the place. And sometimes it would rise to a crescendo was the word they used. And then it would settle down a bit to a level of just sweetness before the Lord. And then it would rise again. They said sometimes it would rise collectively and then settle down. But then somewhere in the back corner of the congregation, something would begin to rise from there. And then it would sweep across the whole place. Does anyone's heart yearn for that? Oh, my goodness. But it costs time. There's a cost for that, church. It costs, takes time. You don't just glibly stop by here on the way to something else. We prepare our hearts for worship. Cost the wise men their treasure. These men came before the Lord and they gave gifts to him. We know gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All three were costly gifts that did not come cheap. And yet they gave them to Jesus, who was obviously just a small child. And they gave them to him, their gifts to him, with no strings attached. The Bible tells us, and we read it, that they walked into that house and they opened their treasures and they presented unto him gifts. They carried those gifts hundreds of miles and they willingly gave them away because they wanted to honor the king and worship. So how does that speak to you and me today? We were taught so wonderfully well by Pastor Des. This phrase, you'll know it as soon as I say it. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Let me just, you know, I'm going to say it unfiltered and plain, okay? You can get your own filter on this if you want to. If you can't give your tithes and offerings to him because you love him and because of an inner compulsion, you would be better off keeping them for your own use. I just gave the finance committee a heart attack. I want you to know that. But if you can't give to God with no strings attached, you really haven't given him anything. Hello? And I want to say this loud and clear. It is a privilege to give to the Lord.
It's a privilege to have something to give. In fact, the only reason you and I have anything to give him today is because he first has given to us. He's always been extravagant in his giving to us. And we ought to be just as extravagant in our giving to him. It costs them their time. It costs them their treasure. And lastly, it costs them their testimony. While these men gave financially, the greatest treasure that they gave to Jesus that day was themselves. There were no ordinary men. We know that. We've always been taught that there were three of them and that they came alone. And can I just say there's not a shred of evidence to support that. All the evidence seems to suggest that these men represented a priestly class that held significant power in the area around ancient Babylon. But these men were known, what we know about them, in Persia as the king makers. They appointed and anointed the kings that ruled in their homelands. They were the ones who were powerful and influential. These rich and powerful and influential men stood before Herod and and his officers and declared their intention was to worship a child king. And then the Bible says this. When they came, they fell down before a little boy and they honored him as their king. They literally gave themselves away at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Oh, church, I wish I could communicate my heart better to you today. But that's what God expects of us, to fall down before him and worship at the feet of the Lord Jesus. He wants us to come to the place where we have abandoned all pride and whatever it is that we think, who we are and what we are. The kings let that all go. They were the kingmakers, and now they're worshiping the king of kings because they were willing to let everything else go away. They were willing to put all pride, all facade, all airs, all reputation for the sake of worshiping him. And the Lord is calling upon us as we move into 2017 to completely give ourselves away to him and there is not a greater form of worship in the world not a greater thing church that we can do than to give ourselves by lifting our hands lifting our voice exalting the one who left heaven to come to earth for you true sacrificial worship church church it will require your time it will necessitate your treasure but it will also cost you your testimony there's nothing in this world or the world to come that is more important. There's nothing more significant as you set your course for this next year than to say, I am going to be a person of worship. Gerard and Jovan, if you would come, please. I'm just asking you this morning to look at the text that we've looked at. Maybe go home and read it this afternoon. And let's look at it not as just a familiar story or legend or something we've known all of our lives. We need to ask the Lord to put the lens on us that says, oh, I see that now. It's clear. And to draw us back into intimacy with him. Ask him to stir your affections for him. I have to believe this. Every once in a while, I'll I'll say, you know what I believe about you? Well, here's what I believe about you again. I don't think there's a person in this house who loves the Lord Jesus who wants to go into 2017 just going through the motions. And some of you find yourself in that situation. Some of you find yourself exactly in that condition. You become tired of it. It's cold. It's lackluster. It's passionless. But you're going through the motions. You may be going through the motions of life. You may be going through the motions of church. I don't know. But I know this. God has a place for us as a fellowship. God has a place for you as an individual with higher heights and deeper depths than you have ever gone before. Don't ever forget, there's always another place to go in God. We will never, never understand the full riches and treasure that we have in Him. There's another place to go. Do not settle. I have determined in my own heart, I am not going to settle for status quo. I'm not going to just stand back and say, I'm going to go through the motions. This is the way we've always done. No, I'm calling on God to sweep across this congregation, to move on us with power, move upon us with his presence as he's never done before, 
to stir our affections for Him. That wedding yesterday, it was always, it was being run on a different timetable than I'm used to running on, okay? The bride made it there about three minutes before time to start, okay? So I just, you know, what do you do? You chill. That's all you do. It's the way it's going to be. I'm going to sit back and enjoy this. Fabulous people. I'm going to sit back and enjoy this. <laughs> so we were delayed in getting started and getting going. And you know what happened? I just, I was just astonished at this. I was scurrying around trying to make a few things happen that needed to be prepared and needed to be done and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And going about that, and I had Shelly here and Andre here helping me, you know, do whatever we could do to facilitate the thing. And all of a sudden, I began to hear something. All of a sudden, I began to hear worship come out of that living room behind us. You know what the French African congregation did? There was going to be a delay of time, and nobody knew how long that was going to be, and or for what reason. But instead of just getting antsy and looking at their devices and getting up and going on to do something else, they made the determination they were going to use that time and worship the Lord. It struck me this way. That's their first go-to. It's their first go-to. Church, can we make worship our first go-to? When you have a second of time, when you have anything that God has given you in, in terms of, of availability, that ought to be our first go-to, that we are going to worship Him. It was so glorious. I, it, it, it just it stunned me. shouldn't have, but it did. I began, I was standing in an office nearby where I could hear it. Shelly and and Andre were in the room. I said, do you hear that? Do you hear that? They're going to have to wait for a while. But the pastor's wife, Pastor Israel's wife, Wavine, sang in our Christmas concert this year. All of a sudden, she just, there was about, oh, I don't know, a dozen or so people that had gathered at that time. Nobody knew how long it was going to take. It didn't matter. She just grabbed that microphone and began, it was kind of an African call to worship thing. She began singing. They began responding. And then I, when I finally got in there and looked at it, of course, they were on their feet and dancing and doing all the things that do with the rhythms that they come so naturally and so easily. But I stepped in that room and I thought, they have changed the atmosphere of this room because the determination was made. I am not going to do anything short but give God everything that I have. Come on, put your hands together, church. Pastor Dan, I have to say this to you. This message this morning is the story of my life. I've always been uh, given more of an urge to give God praise wherever I am, whatever situation I'm in. And because of my mother, um, recently I was on the Christmas tour with Amy Grant and Michael Smith. And Amy was like, well, let's bring your mom in. And I had to say, well, Amy, you're in danger because my mother loves the Lord and wherever she goes she praises the Lord like without apology <laughs> without any rules she worshiped the Lord in spirit and in truth wherever she is so in this concert it's very you know reserved very you know polished polished very be on your best behavior do nothing say nothing well thank you and we brought her to Atlanta for the show and Amy was like, oh, my God, that's what I want. That's what I want for these uh, shows. We need that in these shows. And I was like, well, you don't know what you're asking for. What if after this message today, we all became a walking revival? What if it began in us? You know, we were the example of lavishing God with our praise without any urge without any help but when we walk through the doors or throughout our lives we always had a hallelujah a thank you Jesus and it was intentionally forward it was without any music without any you know encouragement but we walked through those doors and we were like hallelujah Lord you're worthy God I give you all the praise God, I love you. You're wonderful. You're a wonder in my soul. 
what if that was us? Do you know Bethesda would be the place to be to get your soul fed? Don't you want that in, your, in, in, in Bethesda and in your lives? Uh, my mother, she would just praise the Lord wherever she goes. And she's not a singer, believe it or not. She's in no way a singer, but she would sing anyway, even though she wasn't a singer. But she didn't care because her goal was, I'm worshiping the Lord, and he doesn't care. He has a great ear. He can split the difference. <laughs> but she would just sing out, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things I did not deserve. Yet you gave to prove your love for me. But the voices of a million angels cannot express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be. They represent your body, your soul, your spirit. By the mercies of God, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. God in our nation that is being torn apart by hatred, by hostility. God made the people of Bethesda in this metroplex 
stand as living testimonies of your grace, of your power, of your love. Oh God, I pray that in 2017 that your spirit will flow into each member of this body and flow through each member and out from this member to those around that are feeling hopeless, who lack peace, who lack joy. Oh, Jesus, live in and through this body so that those who are lost in darkness around will be drawn. Lord, these wise men, pagans from afar, were drawn by your Spirit to worship that baby who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, you who drew them so long ago, draw people to this, your house, that is consecrated to worship you. And people, praise is the expression of faith. When you praise, you are expressing your faith. If you have faith that God is going to do something unprecedented in and through the life of Bethesda in this coming year, would you just in advance praise Him for Hallelujah. what God's going to do? Just lift Blessed your hands and praise Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name forever. Blessed be your name.